Praise God. I want to talk this morning about the greatness of our God. The newsboys recorded a song, The Greatness of Our God. And uh, I was going to um, follow a certain course through uh, Ephesians, but um, <clears throat> God dealt with me to change things around a little bit this morning. So hang on to your hats. <laughs> Praise God. There is only one time that the word greatness is used in the King James Version in the New Testament. Only one time that the word greatness is translated out of the Greek in the New Testament, and it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. But we're going to look first at the Old Testament, because the Old Testament came first. And I have a big fat book at home called The Concordance, and as I sat down to start studying, and I opened the book, it opened exactly to the page where the word greatness was listed. I said, well, I think I'll take that as a sign from God that this is what I'm supposed to be studying and preaching and blessing, hopefully, the uh, congregation this morning, those listening online and those here. There are 31 words in the Old Testament for greatness. And this is out of the concordance that I have was uh, first published in 1898 or something like that. So it's the King James Version on my Strong's Concordance. So bear with me, the King James Version. There are 31 mentions of the word greatness in the Old Testament. Out of those 31, eight of them pertain to people. All the rest of them pertain to God. Some of them for his mercy, some of them for his power, some of them for uh, just the greatness of God. If you think about the greatness of God, the Bible actually tells us that the greatness of God is beyond our understanding. How many have ever tried to figure God out? <laughs> have you ever got the illustration... Uh, you know, sometimes you're thinking about the things of God and it feels like your brain is a, a little green pea in a big empty box car and you're trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. That's why we have to use faith. Can you say amen? Praise God. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable or beyond understanding. We have to trust God on certain things that we have no control over, we have no understanding of. We have to just believe God and take Him at His word. Why would you be able to do that? Because if you know anything about God, God's nature is that He loves. From the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And he created the male and female. And the reason God did that is God was already three persons in one, which is a mystery. The Trinity was there. That's why it says, let us make God, let, no, excuse me, let us make man in our image. Because humans, when they're all alone by themselves, something happens to them and they get kind of strange and humans naturally need other humans. You have to have people in order for 
society to function. I was uh, kind of amused that uh, some people have created these uh, robots now that, you know, you can program the whole thing and it'll make a cabinet for you. There's another, somebody invented a machine that just needs two guys to put the bricks on. One guy puts the bricks, one guy puts the mortar, and the machine can build a brick wall faster than a human, straighter than a human, and at less cost than a regular crew. That's wonderful. However, those machines can't do everything. They have to be programmed by somebody. I don't think that uh, a machine can... (laughs) do what I do. Um, I do uh, uh, construction and remodeling now, but years ago I used to work out in the, in the uh, dirt and uh, uh, build forms for concrete, and uh, I don't think a machine can figure out, you know, how to drive a form stake into the ground when there's rocks and stuff, and how to nail it properly, and how to make sure that everything's lined up and straight. So hopefully my job will still be there and a machine won't take over. (laughs) So we need, the point I'm making is that we need people. Can you say amen? We need people. Even though God is incomprehensible completely, you can't totally understand God, but you can understand that God loves. And to begin to think that God loves in spite of our failures, like the one song was singing, when we were God's enemy, He still loved us. He loved us before we were even born. That's just so amazing to me. He created all things. He even knows our thoughts, which is scary for some people. (laughs) He knows what you're thinking. Can you comprehend that? God is a mind reader. (laughs) He knows the thoughts and the intents of our... He knows our motivations. Whether or not we're doing something out of selfish ambition or if we're really serving for the other person or the other people's benefit. God knows. And He still loves us. It's mind-boggling. Hallelujah. Out of uh, that other song, eight billion you know, mistakes and eight billion souls, we're approaching a population on the planet Earth of eight billion people. I read a study that... Um, Sub-Saharan Africa, which is all of Africa below the Sahara Desert, the birth rate is over four children per woman in families over there. Here in the United States, the birth rate, the average birth rate is one, less than one and a half. So what that shows us is that there's going to be a huge population explosion in Sub-Saharan Africa. And what's important about that is because a lot of those people don't stay there. They migrate. And that's causing um, governments to reassess their policies on how do we deal with this. But the awesome thing is that God knows not only each individual soul. The Bible says He knows how many hairs are on top of our heads. That's awesome. I don't know how many hairs. I'm, I comb my hair and a whole bunch comes out. <laughs> I, I brush my beard and a whole bunch comes out. Some of us, we don't have hardly any hair left anyways. And, and God still knows how many there are. <laughs> Praise God. I want to look. Um, there are six different Hebrew words for greatness. 
And like I said, eight of them pertain to people. <clears throat> Word number 4768 refer refers to Solomon's greatness. And I can't pronounce the uh, Hebrew word, but it means interest paid. God, as Solomon's greatness is describing his wisdom, interest paid. Albert Einstein is quoted as saying, the, uh, one of the mo modern miracles of uh, finances is compound interest. It keeps growing and it adds and keeps growing and adds and compounds. It also means a multitude and an increase. In, uh, let's see where it was, Joash, one of the kings of Israel. He had uh, burdens that were greatness. His burdens, there was an abundance of burdens for King Joash, which meant he had, uh, by the myriad, and said that they multiplied. Can you imagine? Uh, there's a picture I saw of a donkey with a cart. And uh, the cart's overloaded. So the cart's up in the air and the donkey's stuck up in the air and the donkey can't go anywhere. It's overloaded. This is the picture I get when uh, I look at the word uh, King Joash's burdens. They were multiplied by the myriad and he was overloaded. And it was a disgraceful death for the king, Joash. They didn't even bury him with the other kings. What a shame. In... Uh, word number 1420, no, 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 excuse me, back up. It also is the same word used to describe Mordecai's greatness. How many remember who Mordecai was? Him and uh, Esther, they're in uh, modern-day Iran and Persia. They've been carried away captive. And the king has a problem with his wife, and he looks for a new wife. And lo and behold, God orchestrates everything so that Esther becomes the queen and saves the Jewish people uh, by going into the king. And as a result, Mordecai, a Jewish man, and by the way, their tombs are still over there in Iran. Somebody tried to blow them up and set them on fire, try to uh, erase history. Anyway, Mordecai, the Bible says, the end of the book of Esther, he becomes second in command in the nation that they were in in Persia, second in command. Just like Joseph in Egypt, Pharaoh was the king, but Joseph was the prime minister. And this word greatness talks about Mordecai's greatness. And he really didn't do a whole lot except tell Esther, don't you worry about a thing. If you don't go into the king and tell him, don't worry, God's going to raise somebody else up to save his people because that's what God does. But she went in anyway, and the long story short, the end of the, the story was that Mordecai became the prime minister, and his greatness was multiplied. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, it also describes something uh, of greatness, and it's called man's folly. It's the greatness of man's folly. Human beings are prone to do dumb things. Can you say Amen. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch. <laughs> We're prone to do dumb things. And uh, sometimes it's like just the spur of the moment. We react. We say dumb things. And sometimes the greatness of our folly is great. Can you say amen? Sometimes it multiplies. And another uh, word, um, it talks about King David's 
greatness. And that word, I don't know how to pronounce either, it means the dignity or the majesty of King David. King David and his son Solomon, their kingdom was tremendous. It was the height, the pinnacle of Israel's history. That's what they were looking for when Jesus came, was someone to restore King David's kingdom. But they didn't understand that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And the last, nope, uh, excuse me, the fourth uh, word in the concordance describing greatness is talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's actually a Chaldean word, not a Hebrew word. And it means to increase majesty. If you know the story in chapter 4 of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar gets himself lifted up in pride because of the greatness of his kingdom. The hanging gardens of the Babylonian city, there were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And he lifts himself up and God puts him down because he increased his majesty without acknowledging God. But then he acknowledges God and he comes back to his senses. Thank God for people that come to their senses. Can you say amen? It's like the prodigal son. He's over there in the pigsty. And, he's, and no one's even giving him any food. And he's saying to himself, you know what? Man, I wish somebody would just give me some of the corn husks. There's no nutrition in corn husks. <laughs> but the pigs are eating it. And he says, he comes to his senses, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I'm going to go back home and tell my dad, you know, I'm sorry, just make me one of your slaves. And I thank God the rest of the story comes back and the dad restores him. But if you remember reading the story, he tells the older son, the reason we're rejoicing is because I thought your brother was dead and he's come back to life basically, literally come back to life because he came home because he came to him and senses, what am I doing here? Anybody ever been there doing something and all of a sudden, what am I doing? What am I thinking? And God touches you. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? <clears throat> the other two words in the concordance are referring to God's greatness. And it's kind of humorous to me because one of the translations or one of the meanings of the word for God's greatness is that he's older. <laughs> God's older than you and I. Can you say amen? <laughs> A lot older. And he's much more noble. Another translation is uh, for greatness is stoutness. Anybody ever uh, hear the phrase, the guy's built like a brick outhouse. He's stout. You, know, you can't knock him over. There's a, a trick some people do. You know, they get all tense like this. Go ahead, try to knock me over, and you can't move him. Well, that's God. God's not movable. God's the firm foundation. Jesus is that chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. Praise God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. How many of you are Gentiles? Everyone raise your hand. Is anyone here Jewish? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Here in the book of Deuteronomy, 
God is speaking through Moses and He's saying, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. God chose the Jewish people. God chose Abraham when they were small, just a small group of people. There's a, a, a book I started reading called The Gift of the Jews. And the amazing thing about the gift of the Jews is that before God spoke to Abraham, the religions of the world worshipped nature, they worshipped multitudes of God, and Jesus, or excuse me, well, Jesus was there too, but God speaks to Abraham and says, I am God, and there's only one God. And I can't explain exactly the mystery of the Trinity, but before that time, people worshipped all kinds of stuff, and the gift of the Jews is that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says. Why should we rejoice with His people? Because He will avenge the blood of His servants and render vengeance to His adversaries. He will provide atonement for His land and for His people. None of us could pay for our own sins. None of us. There's an old chorus we used to sing. He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Thank God for that. Can you say amen? He provided the way when He sent His only Son. The most famous Scripture in the Bible is John chapter 3.16 For God so loved the world, not the earth itself, but the people that He gave His only begotten Son. Hallelujah. That whoever believes in Him puts their trust and faith in Jesus of Nazareth has the gift of eternal life. Another word in the Old Testament for greatness, where it's attributed to uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, it's also attributed the same word in Daniel chapter 7 to Daniel's vision of the end of time. And listen to what it says in Daniel chapter 7, verses 26 through, 20, uh, 26 through 27. Daniel has seen this vision of the end times. These horrible monsters come here and there and they battle and everything. And it says, Then the Ancient of Days comes. And this is Jesus. And the court shall be seated. And the Ancient of Days. And they're going to take away the dominion from the enemy of our souls. And it says, The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens will be given to the people the saints of the Most High. I mean, remember Jesus being tempted by the devil. And one of the things he said to him, and somehow he's able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of all time and all their glory. And he tells Jesus, I will give you all of these if you will simply worship me. And of course, Jesus is no dummy. <laughs> he didn't own them. The Satan does not own everything. Can you say amen? He doesn't. How, he's deceived and he's crazy. I'm going to give you all these. <laughs> ah, you don't even own them. How are you going to give them to Jesus? Jesus is going to give them to us. Listen to what it says again. The kingdoms and the dominion and the greatness of the, of the kingdoms under the whole heavens will be given to the people. That's us, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and 
all dominions shall serve and obey him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody on earth was saved already? Wouldn't that be great? That would be wonderful. There'd be no stealing, there'd be no lying, there'd be no cheating, no, no sin. All of the kingdoms of the world would obey Jesus. There'd be no murders. There'd be no persecution. But that time hasn't come yet. But this greatness is coming. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? This greatness is coming. So let us go back, or let us start here again, where I was going to start in the first place. But we, God changed my mind. Hallelujah. Therefore, Paul writes to the Ephesians, I also, and by the way, this Ephesian church was a mega church in those days. The big church. The uh, city is still there, but the Turkish uh, government has uh, um, taken over and it's no longer a Christian city. It's a tourist destination. But he writes to the Ephesians, I also, therefore, and why does he say therefore, what for? Because previously in the chapter, he talks about the benefits of salvation. He talks about the Holy Spirit given to you and I as a down payment, as a deposit of the good things to come. And then he writes, so he writes, because of all that, I also, after or since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Listen, Paul spent more than three years in Ephesus preaching and teaching the Word of God to these people. And he still is asking that he heard about their faith. They believed in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. He does not stop giving thanks for them. Every time he prays, he makes mention of them in his prayers. Every time he prays, he thanks God for them. That's a good way to pray. Can you say amen? Thank God for Pastor Wayne and Michelle deciding to uh, uh, leave the church over on 22nd Street and come up here and pioneer the church. Thank God for that. And making mention of them in his prayers. And this is his prayer. It begins that the God of our Lord. Now how can God be the God of Jesus? Today's trick question. How can Jesus, if he's God, how could God be his God? How? Because if you remember Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, Jesus is on the cross. And what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I would just say that this is sort of a mystery, kind of like the Trinity. I don't completely understand it. But Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, calls God the Father, my God, because Jesus was a human and God at the same time. Because, how does it say? He was tempted in all ways, yet as we are, he was touched with the feeling of all of our infirmities. He knows what it's like to be a human being. And he also knows what it's like to be separated from God and have the presence of God leave. That's a scary place. But he did it for you and I. Can you say amen? That the Father that the God, Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What this means is you and I can know God personally. That's what salvation is. It's a personal relationship with the living God. 
That's great. Can you say amen? Praise God. So this he begins his prayer like that, saying that the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Excuse me. He goes on in verse 18 and continues praying that the eyes which symbolize intelligence when people, anybody ever met anyone that's illiterate? They don't know how to read or write. The, uh, one of my foremen one time, he, he asked me to, hey, can you check this out? Because he wrote something down and it's like, where did you learn to spell? <laughs> where did you, did you not graduate school? Did you, didn't you pay attention <laughs> in school? It's like, golly, man, you can't even write. Poor guy. But the eyes indicates intelligence. A symbol of intelligence, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. <clears throat> Your understanding being enlightened. And this word, being enlightened, is always in the present tense. How many know that we can't know everything about God in this life, but you can keep learning more and more? You can keep learning. God can keep revealing more to you. New things. That your understanding being enlightened. We go back. That he's talking about the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That our understanding would continually be enlightened. How many have uh, ever been reading the word of God? And you've looked at that and you've read that before. But that time you read it again and it's like, I never saw that before. There's something new here. God's showing you. That's exciting to me. It's all right. I always like to imagine in my mind like reading the Gospels of, uh, and, and John's Gospel especially. They, they, uh, they come across the Sea of Galilee and uh, the, the boat lands and, and people recognize Jesus and they run. And today they would get their cell phones and say, hey, Jesus is back. Come on, bring all the sick and everybody. And they run and they go and they bring all the sick. And I, and I get that vivid picture in my mind of all the people. Or like Jesus walking, he's on his way to Jairus' house. His 12-year-old daughter's dead. And the woman with the issue of blood comes up and touches the hem of his garment. And I get the picture of the crowd and Jesus say, who touched me? And the disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? All these people are pressing all over. Reading the Word of God's exciting. One of my cousins posted on Facebook recently, <clears throat> you know, I like to get into a book and just forget about everything. And so I wrote in a, a, a comment that said, try reading your Bible and see what happens. <laughs> Can you say amen? Hallelujah. That we might know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, and then the inheritance in the saints. Notice here the word hope. Notice... Back up uh, to verse 15. Faith and love. Ta-da! Faith, hope, and love is right there in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which is also addressed to us. I thought that was really neat. But look here. The hope of his calling eternal life, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. As we looked in Daniel, 
we're going to inherit with Jesus all of the dominions, all of the kingdoms of the whole world. And there'll be just one kingdom. Hallelujah. We have an inheritance. Glory to God. We were looking uh, at, uh, and I want to look especially here at the word glory. We were looking in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 where God, Isaiah sees God and there's three angels flying around and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And in the Hebrew when there's something mentioned more than once or twice or three times like this, it means God is trying to say something important here. But I also, and I didn't think of this on Wednesday night, but I also remembered as I was doing this study, holy, 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 there's three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity being mentioned by the angels. And they say that the whole earth is filled or full of God's glory. How many people do you know acknowledge that earth is full of God's glory? If I was, if you look at, think about this for just a second, eyeball, human eyeball. It's got like five layers. There's a lens in the front. There's a pupil that opens and closes with the dark in the dark. There's a lens that has, can move forward and backwards so you can focus near and far when you're young. When you're old, you've got to wear glasses. On the back of the eyeball is the retina. And they have rods and cones in there. If you look at the sun, you get a spot in your eye. And then the spot disappears. You know why? Because you burned the eyeball. You burned your retina momentarily. And it heals itself. That's why the spot goes away. Someone takes your picture, you got that spot for a while. It heals itself. Who could design something like that? And then the nerves go out the back of your eyeball and it, and it takes all the light and all the information and it goes to the other side of your head, <laughs> which I could not understand. Your eyes go, the nerves go to both different sides of your head. God, God has such a way of doing things. <laughs> Designed something like that. But God Himself. Praise God. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's one of the glorious things. I like uh, plants. It just amazes me how plants grow. Just amazes me. And now we have, we've got solar electric panels. They can get sunlight and translate it and transfer it into electricity. They've had them for a while, but they're getting better with them. The whole earth is full of His glory. The way things work is amazing. In Isaiah chapter 9, a little bit later after chapter 6, verse 9, it says, The whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk says the same thing, except it adds that the whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a prophecy for the future where everyone will know God and everyone will be amazed by God's glory. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So he continues, the glory of his inheritance in the saints for us. In verse 19, and, it says, and we, he wants us to understand what is the exceeding 
greatness. And here's the only place in the New Testament, King James Version, where the word greatness is translated into English. This word exceeding is an interesting word. It means to surpass or to exceed. How many ever run a race? I ran a race in high school. I was training for the two-mile run, and uh, they said, hey, I went to my first track meet, and they said, hey, we need you to uh, run in the 440-yard uh, uh, relay. You know how to pass the baton? Yeah, I could figure it out. <clears throat> There's supposed to be four runners. So the first guy runs, catches up with me, and I take the baton, and everybody goes, Phew, takes off. And I get to where the third guy's supposed to be, and he's not there. It's, oh, great. <laughs> Keep running, hand it off to the fourth guy, and he runs, and, and I thought, but everybody, I didn't realize that they were going to run so fast, they all surpassed me. <laughs> Needless to say, I was, uh, I was disappointed I didn't run in any more races. <laughs> That's how they treat me. <laughs> so I tried throwing the shot put, and I never competed. <laughs> But it surpassed the exceeding greatness of God. It's exceeding. It surpasses all that we ask or think or even imagine. God can do anything. One day I asked this older carpenter years and years ago. He's limping around. I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, I got a, a metal pin in my foot. He said, well, I'm going to pray for it. God can heal you. And he looked at me like I was crazy. I said, oh, no, God can't do that. So really, yes, he can. No, 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 leave me alone. Okay, fine. Go limp around. <laughs> God can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think or imagine, but the greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. This is the exciting part to me, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. There's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. We'll get to see our loved ones again and talk to them and hug them again. Can you say amen? That's exciting stuff. Hallelujah. I miss my dad. Raised him from the dead. Seated him. That means the work's done at his right hand. The place of authority. Hallelujah. Heavenly places far above all principality. These principalities are the rulers of evil in the world. Hallelujah. Power and might and dominion. And every name that is named. A lot of people give the enemy too much credit. Can you say amen? Oh, the devil's messing with me. Bah humbug. He's got nothing. You're letting him mess with you. Take dominion over him. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. There's coming a day. There's coming a time when time as we know it is over. Hallelujah. We're done with all the mess. It's coming. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. And I think that's the last one. <laughs> yep. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And let's look there quickly what it says. This is good stuff. Can you say amen? My goal and my hope is to encourage you in your faith in Jesus. Greatness. Megathos. 
magnitude, exceedingly great, loud. <laughs> I like that translation. God's power, God's greatness is loud. Whoever is the loudest nowadays seems to be in charge. But God is louder. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to have to take my glasses off to read this. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, And you, say, and me, and me, you, He made alive. You, who were dead in trespasses and sins. In verse 2, once you once walked according to the culture of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, what's on the airwaves, the spirit that now works in the sons and daughters of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves according to the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just to the others. But God has given us a new nature. Can you say amen? amen. Then, then in, in verse 4 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, because of the nature of God, God loves, that's His nature, because of the nature of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, the gift of God, you have been saved. Say, I am saved. Hallelujah. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's already done. And the reason He did that, <clears throat> verse 7, is because that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You and I are going to be trophies in God's kingdom. In heaven, God's going to say, ah, look at this one. Hey, you guys, come here. Listen to this story. This is how this person was. And I drew them. And the amazing thing is, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that drew you and I to God. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. God is good. He's made us alive again. We're going to enjoy His kingdom. But in the meantime, what do we do? Try and share the good news with other people. Try and get other people saved. Find who God's dealing with. I, as, as I'm working, as I'm um, talking with my coworkers, I'm always trying to think, how can I steer the conversation? What can I say? Pray that God gives you and I words to speak so that we can talk to people and point them to the Savior, the God who loves. Can you say amen? Praise God. <clears throat> well, I hope you're encouraged. Praise God. I hope you're excited about the things of God. It's the most exciting thing in the whole universe. Can you say amen? <laughs> we have the hope. The glasses are fogging up. <laughs> we have the hope of eternal life. We have a promise from God that is sure and steadfast. As sure as there is an empty tomb over there in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. God is good. Let's 